Hey, Scott here with Grace Bible Church. Before we get into this message, I just wanted to thank you for streaming this sermon. We pray that each week you are challenged by who God is and what he has done for you. Now, this is never meant to be a substitute for you to be an active member of a community of faith. If you live in the Holidaysburg area or if you're in town for any reason, we encourage you to gather with us on Sunday mornings for our word and worship. You can learn more about what God is doing through our church body on our website, gbclive.org. I just want to read the first uh, eight verses of Joshua chapter 1. Actually, let's read the first nine verses. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites into the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage, do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And this is the word of the Lord. Well, today is the first Sunday of the new year. Can you believe it? We're passing into another new year. There's just something about the passing of a new year. If you're like me, it just gives me a moment of pause, at least, you know, to think about. Here we are again going into a new year. And certainly 2020 has been in many respects a difficult year. You think of the COVID pandemic, the riots, the contentious presidential election, among many other things that for many people, 2020 will stand as a uh, not such a great year, and they were very happy to see 2021 come in. But that's not true for everybody. Others have seen goals realized and personal successes accomplished. I think of our son DJ and his wife Gigi. Uh, it was in this past year that DJ was called to be the senior pastor of his first church, which he had sought for many years. And his wife, Gigi, completed her continuing education and was hired as a nurse practitioner, so they were able to buy their first home. So for them, 2020 is always going to be a year that they'll look back to with all its challenges and be very thankful. And so I suspect that there are some of you that you've had some real successes this year. You know, some of you have had uh, children born. You have beautiful children, healthy babies born in 2020. Some were married. Certainly, funerals were held. 
because we recognize the cycle of life in every year. And the greatest blessing of all, some people have been born again in 2020. So they're going to really thank God for 2020. So however you look at the year, I would say most of us probably would say it's been a mixture of challenges and, and blessings, but really isn't, isn't every year the same way. Well, some people look ahead into the new year with real anticipation. Others look ahead with real apprehension. Shakespeare called the future the undiscovered country. I like that. What are we going to discover in the new year? What will we discover about ourselves? What will we discover about our church? The future by its very nature is uncertain. Nobody can really tell you your future. Only God knows the future. It's like the guy who called up, up the psychic uh, network, psychic uh, phone, phone line. And so he talked to this lady for a while. He wanted to know his future. And the lady said, I see huge phone bills in your future. And, um, you know, that's about the only thing she could predict. God, only God knows the future. Now, he has revealed some aspects of the future in his word. So we can know some general things about the future. And by the way, it's really good news for us when you get to the end. But as far as our personal future, uh, we can't really, we don't really know what God has for us. But what we do know is God has given us amazing promises as we face the future. And so Randy's song was not some kind of a Pollyanna, close your eyes and don't see any bad things. No, it's based on the promises of God's word. Joshua chapter 1 is an illustration of this, how to walk into the future. You know, all the Bible is written for us, but not all the Bible is written to us, meaning it's wasn't written in our language. It wasn't written with our culture in mind. So anytime we come to the Bible, we have to understand that who is it that the writer is speaking to? In this case, it's God speaking to Joshua. Though even though we know this was not written to us specifically, yet we do know all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. So we know it is certainly written for us and we can glean some great truth from it. In fact, comparing the experiences of God's people in the Old Testament is biblical. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 11, now all these things happened to them as examples that were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So we're some 2,000 years beyond when Christ came, and certainly we are those folks who are looking towards the end of the ages so as we come to this book, we have to understand who is involved here. This is the Joshua generation. This is a new generation with a new leader. You see, these are the children and grandchildren of the people who did not enter the promised land because of unbelief, and they perished in the wilderness. They came to the very edge of the promised land, and one of the saddest passages in Scripture is when they came to the edge of the promised land and they sent the 12 spies out and they came back, 10 with a bad report, only Joshua and Caleb had a good report, discouraged the people, and they sat on the edge of the promised land outside their tents and they wept. All they had to do was trust God and take a step of faith, but they didn't do it, so God turned them away. That whole generation perished in the wilderness. 
So now it's a new generation. Come back to the edge of the promised land. And they are about to cross over the Jordan River. And the Jordan River stands not just as a boundary going into the promised land, but it represents more than a physical boundary because the other side of the river represented the future. As we look now, as we've moved from 2020 to 2021, now we are moving into the future. And I think God's instructions for Joshua kind of give us a bit of a blueprint, some principles we can draw from the text as we look to the future. Number one, I would say keep the past in the proper perspective. Keep the past in the proper perspective. Look at verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like a very good pep talk. I mean, the way to start out, you know. Moses, my servant, is dead. But we know God doesn't waste words, and God doesn't make mistakes. And we know that he was telling Joshua exactly what he needed to hear and what the children of Israel needed to hear. Moses' contribution continues to this day. If you're going to read through the Bible this year or do the two-year plan we have out there, Pastor Lou has a 10-year plan if you want to check that one out. But um, you're going to start in the first five books of the Bible, at least at some point, and those were written humanly by Moses. So Moses is still making a contribution, but Moses' day was over, and the time for mourning had passed. Deuteronomy 34, 8, the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. They ended. It was time now to move on. You see, the reality is that some people live in the past. I had a wonderful relative. Unfortunately, she lived most of her life, at least the life I knew her, before she died, living in the past. Are there times to celebrate the past, learn from the past? Sure. Are there appropriate times to refer to the past? Absolutely. Birthdays, we remember when our children or grandchildren were born, our own birthday. Um, anniversaries, we think back to you know, how we met and our dating, got engaged, got married and all of that. Sure, even as a church, we got certain anniversaries and, and we look back and we, we celebrate that and that's certainly appropriate and that's certainly fine. But too many people live their lives looking in the rearview mirror. One of our grandsons, Brady, when he was little, this is how he would run. I'd always be like, Brady, turn around. Watch where you're, boom, you know. He just had this habit. He'd always wanted to see where he came from, not where he's going. You know, if you're going to drive down the road and all you're going to do is look in your rearview mirror, I don't want to be around you when you're driving. But you know, some people live their life like that. Their total focus is in the rearview mirror. They become so chained to the past that they become ineffective in the present. They long for the good old days. Adrian Rogers famously said, thinking the past was the good old days is a combination of exaggeration and a bad memory. And I think that's really true. Oh, there's some good things of the past. But 
There are good things in the present, too. See, the reality is that things in this life inevitably come to an end, eventually life itself. I hope you had a good Christmas holiday. I mean, we were able to have our whole family together for Christmas, and it was just a great day. But then everybody went home, had to go back to work. Life goes on. You know, we go on vacation. I personally love the beach, but... And then you have a great time, but then you got to go back home, go back to work, back to regular life. You can't live life on vacation unless you're fabulously wealthy. <laughs> Everything eventually comes to an end. I wanted Luann to read out of Psalm 90 because Moses wrote that psalm. Very unusual. Only psalm we know of that Moses wrote. And it was Moses who wrote, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Remember, Moses officiated over a funeral probably every day because we're not exactly sure how many people were there. There are different estimates, some as high as a million. And think about how many funerals you'd have to have in a 38 to 40 year period for that whole generation to die and be buried. No wonder he said, teach us to number our days. So some people live in the past. And then you have other people who refuse to let go of the past. You know, they don't necessarily live in the past, but there's something in the past that they will not let go of. Usually it involves some kind of hurt. Some will say, but you don't know what happened to me. No, I don't know, but God knows. Sometimes they'll say, well, others you know, would say, but you don't know what they did to me. They want everybody to know what happened to them, but God already knows. And the reality is, no one else is going to feel the way you do about what happened because they're not you. You, all, you have a unique personal perspective. And so some people just don't want to let go of the past. You know, when you don't forgive somebody, it's like, Swallowing poison and waiting for the other person to die. Um, there's freedom and grace in letting go and forgiveness. The Bible teaches that Jesus was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. The word tempted means tried. What that means is there's no trial that we can go through that Jesus does not understand our experience because he experienced it. That's why we go to him for help. Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Give the past to God and let God redeem it. He's very good at that. God can redeem anything. He, his grace can overflow in our hearts. Learn from the past, but let go of the past. You know, the past can be a great teacher I remember things that I did when I was young, like sticking my hand in the fire or grabbing the wrong end of the stick at a campfire or putting my hand on a hot stove. Many other things I remember things I did. Is I don't do that anymore. I remember one time when I was in college and I was working for this apartment complex and I would go in and do light maintenance and I went in and I was changing something on a stove and I thought I had the power off, but I didn't. And man, the sparks flew. 
I still have that screwdriver to this day. It's kind of, I pull it out every now and then when I'm working. It's like, oh, I remember that. I double check, triple check everything now. So the past can be a great teacher, but it can also become an oppressive taskmaster. You know, Joseph is a great example of this. I mean, you talk about somebody that got the raw end of the deal. Every time Joseph got up, he got knocked back down. And Joseph went through all of these experiences, one trial after another, and finally he gets promoted, he gets married, and he he has a first child, his firstborn son, Manasseh, and he names him Manasseh because Manasseh means forgetting. For God has made me forget all my toil in all my father's house. Now, God didn't wipe his memory. (laughs) You know, this one like a memory wipe like you do on a computer. Joseph remembered all the hurt and all the pain. But God redeemed it for Joseph. He enabled Joseph to make peace with the past wrongs that were committed against him. And this was his whole life's perspective. So one day when his brothers stand before him and through that whole process he makes himself known to them, the brothers who sold him into slavery, he was able to look at them and say, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. God never wastes an experience, and most of the time we learn greatest through the difficult trials. Joseph is a wonderful example. And then you have other people who can't forgive themselves for the past. Forgive themselves. Now, first of all, where in the world do you get the idea that you're supposed to forgive yourself? You will not find that in Scripture. Now, I can ask people to forgive me for an offense I've caused against them, or I can forgive someone for an offense that's been done to me, but I can't forgive anybody's sins, especially my own. Only God can forgive sin. He's the only one that can do that. Do you realize that salvation, when you trust Christ as your personal Savior, he saves you for all your past sin, your present sin, your future sin. He clothes us in the righteousness of Christ. He puts our sin on his son on the cross. And all those offenses have been paid for by Jesus. Isaiah 43, 25. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. And again, God doesn't wipe his memory. What it means is I will never charge those offenses against you. Is what he's saying. So why are we seeking to remember what God has forgotten. Why do we keep bringing that up and think somehow we have to forgive ourselves? That is a form of pride. That is not humility. I'm keeping the focus on myself. Hey, every one of us, hey, hey, listen up. Every one of us have things in our past that we're ashamed of, myself included. Every one of us have have done things that that were not only uh, ridiculous or stupid, we've done things that are outright sinful. We've broken God's commandments. We've hurt other people. We've all done that. And God has forgiven us of that. Romans 4, 7, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. The word forgiven means to send away. Now, it doesn't mean that there won't be consequences. You know, we do suffer certain consequences, but God is so gracious that as we plant a new field, you know, as we work righteousness, God blesses that. 
Alan Redpath says, let none of us allow past failures to keep him from getting on his feet and stepping forward to do what he believes to be God's will. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Anybody get through 2020 and you didn't make any mistakes? You want to come up here and give a testimony? You went through 2020 and you didn't commit any sin. You did everything you were supposed to do. No sins of omission, no sins of commission. Of course not. None of us would claim that. And so we need to accept God's forgiveness. You see, our past is part of us, but we dare not permit it to define us. I am not defined by my past. You are not defined by your past. Thank God for that. We've all made mistakes. We've all sinned against God and others. But don't allow your past to define you. There's an old Eagles song that I've always wanted to play in church. It's called Get Over It. I think on my last day in the ministry, I'm going to play the whole song. I mean, they can cut it off, but you can't fire me. Letting go of the past is often a key step in finding healing in the present. Now, we're not, we're not making light of hurts. I mean, I can't even imagine. I know there's people in our congregation who've, who've had to bury a child. I can't, I, can't, I can't even fathom that. Some things you don't, you don't get over, you learn to live with. I, I recognize that. I'm not talking about those types of things. But I am talking about the fact that there are things that we just need to, we just need to get over. We need to, we need to let it go. Nobody chooses to be a victim, but continuing to live as a victim is a choice. You know, I, would never, I don't want to be a victim, but I'm not going to live as a victim. We have a whole culture that does that. Too many Christians are like, I, I, had to, I don't know if it was college or high school, but I, I had to read Great Expectations. I actually like the book by Charles Dickens. And in the book, there is a lady named Miss Havisham. Miss Havisham was jilted at the altar. So the primary person of the book, Pip, this boy, he ends up going to Miss Havisham's home. And Miss Havisham still has her wedding gown on. It's all tattered and moldy. And, and he goes into this one room, and it's a big room, and it was all set up for a, for a wedding feast, and all the food is still there years later. All the decorations are wilted and yellowed, and there are rats in there eating the stuff. And Miss Havisham says, well, there's more than rats that are eating at my soul. She, she was defined by her past. She was so hurt, she wouldn't let it go. She chose to imprison herself. And if we imprison ourselves by the past, we have the key to unlock the prison and let ourselves out. But some choose not to do that. So what is the positive thing we're supposed to do? Well, we're supposed to serve God in the present. Serve God in the present. Look at verse 2. He says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel, Thank God the Joshua generation learned from the failures of their parents. 
They decided to step out by faith and cross into the land. They didn't know what challenges lay lay ahead of them in the future, but they knew they were willing to be obedient in the present. How do you prepare for the future? By doing what we know we're supposed to do now in the present. And as we serve God in the present, as we obey him in the present, that's going to prepare us for the future because that's where the challenge is. Oh, there will be challenges in the future. I'm sure we'll all face certain challenges coming up this year. Our church will probably face more challenges in the future. But the challenge really is always in the present. And as we deal with present challenges biblically, that strengthens us and gives us the wisdom of experience to deal with those in the future. Because we're to serve God in the present with a name toward the future. Some people live in the past. Some people live only for the present. That's not what he's saying either. Uh, these are the people, the, these are the eat, drink, and be merry, get tomorrow you die people. You know, if it feels good, do it. Just, just get all you can as fast as you can type of thing. Well, that's no answer either. So Paul understood the balance of both realities. And Philippians chapter 3, is a, verses 13 to 14, is a beautiful picture of that. Paul says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, that's the past, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, that's the future. I press toward the goal, that's the present, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's a picture of a Greek runner with intense effort, and he's he's straining as he wants to get to the goal and win the prize. That's how Paul lived his life. He lived his life on purpose. He didn't run looking backwards like my grandson used to do. He was not content to merely exist. In the book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, the author writes, most service, even which seems the most glamorous, is like an iceberg. Only the eye of God ever sees the larger hidden part of it. That's why Paul wrote in Colossians, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. If you serve here at Grace Bible Church, you're not serving me, you're not serving the pastors, the deacons. Really, we're not even serving the congregation in that sense. We are serving the Lord. Now, some people think that Canaan land is a picture of heaven, but it is not. It's an illustration of the victorious Christian life. And I know that that blows apart some great old songs about, you know, equating uh, crossing Jordan into heaven, but that's not a biblical analogy. I mean, as soon as they got into the promised land, what did they face? Jericho. And there were battles to be fought. There aren't going to be any battles in heaven, thank God. That's not heaven. But what it is is a picture of the victorious Christian life. And and Jesus, in the New Testament, tells us exactly what we should expect living our Christian life. Because in John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, These things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. You know, even though there are so many people in culture today that that hate God, who hate Christianity, that, that mock Christians, make fun of the Bible... And even though I get angry at what they do, but it just makes me sad when I hear this. I feel sorry for these people. You see, life 
without Jesus makes no sense at all. You know, these younger generations are coming up, and they are, some of them have the more, more anxiety, more fear than generations before them. Why? Because generation after generation in America and in the West, we've abandoned truth. We've told these kids there is no truth. You make your own truth. There is no meaning to life. There is no overarching story. You just kind of make up your own. And basically, when you die, you die. That's it. Nothing of lasting value will survive you. But that's not what the, what the Bible teaches. If all you have and ever will have is the stuff of this life, no wonder people are anxious about the future. <coughs> Some people are fearful of aging, you know. I've come to grips with the fact that I'm no longer in midlife. I don't think I'm going to meet, reach 140. I kind of doubt that's going to happen, you know. I remember I did a funeral as a young pastor, one of my first funerals. It was, a, it was the mother of one of our members, and, and he came to me very seriously. He told me like three times, whatever you do, whatever you do, do not mention my mother's age. I was like, okay, I won't. But I just thought to myself, She's, she's with the Lord. I mean, what? <laughs> Don't mention her age. Some people are very fearful of aging. But if all you have is this life and all you will ever have, no wonder people become fearful. Because as 1 John says, the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So what do we, should we do? We should focus upon the promises of God. Focus on the promises of God. That's what Joshua was told by the Lord. Verse 3, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. As I said to Moses, hey, this is a done deal. I've already given it to you. Okay? You know, God never makes empty promises. As Christians, we should always be optimistic about the future. God has given us, Paul, or Peter tells us in 2 Peter 1, 4, he has given us exceedingly great and precious promises. So why can I be hopeful about the future? We can have confidence facing the future because God's already there. Whenever I get to the, God's already there. He knows the end from the beginning. You know, he, 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 he covers me all around me. He goes before me. He goes behind me. What awaited the Israelites in the future was already theirs. God had already determined to give it to them. Now, they had to step out by faith. They had to appropriate it. But God has obligated himself through his promises. Verse 5, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. God's already determined our future, so we don't need to fear it because he is a loving God. F.B. Meyer says, it is tomorrow that fills men with dread. God is there already. All the tomorrows of your life have to pass before, have to pass him before they can get to us. That's a beautiful statement because God has promised us his presence in the future. Verse 5, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. This is an unconditional promise. Well, Pastor, you just told us we have to look at who's being written to. And so this is the Lord talking to Joshua and to that generation. Is that promise just for them? No, it's repeated in Hebrews 13, 5 in the New Testament. 
And Jesus promised his disciples in John 14 that through the inward dwelling of the Holy Spirit, he would not leave us orphans, but he would come to us. So as Christians, we should face the future with faith, not fear. Don't fear the future. Face it with faith. That's what Joshua was told to tell Israel, verse 6. Be strong and of good courage. Only be strong and very courageous, verse 9. Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That is just as true for the New Testament believer as it was true for them. Some people live in dread of the future. But we know our ultimate future, and it's going to be glorious. Now, how can we face the future with faith? We can face the future with faith by being grounded in the Word of God. By being grounded in the Word of God. Verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. The Bible has to be our sure foundation. When, I, when I'm in the Word, and, and, and when I, all the Word, and, and I'm meditating on it, and I'm, I'm observing to do it, you know, there's a new thing out now. There's always something new coming down the pike in the evangelical church. It's, it's the same thing that's happening in culture. It's deconstructing. And so there's some, some in the evangelical church, they're teaching, we need to deconstruct our faith. We need, to, we need to tear it back down to the minimum and then build it back up. But when they build it back up, what they mean is, I want to get, a, I want to get out all the stuff in the Bible I don't like. You know, I don't want to... I don't want to hear messages on hell and judgment and, you know, repentance. And we're just going to reconstruct this uh, Christian uh, message. And we're going to make it very palatable for people in these new generations. Because they don't like to be offended. And they don't like to hear that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by him. That's offensive. So we, we, need, to, we need to take the Bible and, and, and we need to shave some of that stuff off and make it more, you know, acceptable. Um, to the culture. And if you do that, you're going to end up populating hell. Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. What's my guide into the future? The word of God. Henrietta Mears is a hero from another generation. She taught Billy Graham when he was a young person. She was this older lady who was not married, and yet she taught college-age young people. She had this amazing Sunday school class, and it just continued to grow and grow and grow. And and, um, there's a marvelous book out there, probably more of one, that one I have about Henrietta Mears. And she wrote, you must give the Bible attention with intention. It is intention that will necessitate attention. Now, if we read other books like we read the Bible... Often we'd have no comprehensive idea what they mean. If we just go in, if we read, if we got a novel, you know, like Great Expectations, and we just picked a, picked a paragraph here and a paragraph there, and then I jumped ahead here, and then I went over here, and I would have no concept. And unfortunately, some people read the Bible that way. That's why we like to encourage at the beginning of the year. It just seems like a good time to do that. Have you ever read the Bible through? I mean, have you really ever read the Bible through? 
Howard Hendricks used to say, you're, you're going to get into heaven and one of the Old Testament prophets comes up to you and asks you if you read his book and you're going to be totally embarrassed because you didn't even know that book was in the Bible. You know, if you haven't read the Bible through, you're missing a tremendous blessing. Jesus said, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And don't start at the wrong place. Too many people read a passage of Scripture and they immediately say, now what does this mean to me? That's the wrong place to start. You don't start with what does it mean to me? You start with what does it mean? Once I find out what it means, then I can try to understand what God is saying to me through this passage of Scripture. The Bible is the only book bound by eternity because it's written by an eternal God And Jesus said, my word will never pass away, ever. So the Bible reveals to us our ultimate future, and our future is eternal life. You know, even as a church, I face the future with faith. You know, I I read the things on the internet, and I hear the, you know, the people saying the things may not go back the way they were, and, and maybe they won't. I understand that. And I know some people, maybe some of you that are watching right now, and I'm not being critical, but you're probably staying away because of COVID or other reasons, and we certainly understand that. But what happens when the crisis is over? Are you going to get in the habit of, you know, doing church every Sunday morning with a cup of coffee in your pajamas? You know, you might observe church, but that's not church. I mean, the very word church is ecclesia. It means the, the assembly and you know, it is so important that we assemble together. And so I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what's going to I know that, that God will build his church. I know ever since I've been in the ministry, in the ministry I've, I've continually heard that, the, you know, the church is outdated. The church is going to falter. But I still believe the best days of Grace Bible Church are yet in the future. Because we stick to the word of God. We continue to preach it. We teach it. We disciple, we train children, young people, and I think we do what we know we need to do. We hang on to the promises of God. He will bless his word. His word never returns void. And What God has for Grace Bible Church is what his will will be in the future. But we have to appropriate it, and we have to step out by faith. 